Well, uh, it's uh, good to be back with you today. I feel like I should start by clarifying that Sterling and I did not plan on matching today. Uh, it keeps happening. I, you as well. Great fashion style. Um, I don't have an explanation for it. I feel like it happens a lot. I think I may be becoming Sterling. And one day I'm going to wake up with like a beard and talking about Ohio State. <laughs> so maybe pray for me on that. Let's pray uh, in all seriousness as we open up God's Word together. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for bringing us here. Thanks for this time. Thanks for um, giving us this chance to, to sing out, to praise you, to declare what we just did. Lord, we, we pray now that you would help us, that you would give us your spirit, that you would strengthen us to surrender all to you. Lord, that those wouldn't just be words, uh, but they would be how we live our lives. They would be the posture of our life. Help us now as we open up your word. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, again, it is good to to be back with you today. Some uh, news and update from uh, my life since the last time we talked. Uh, We have a son who is officially mobile. Um, Our son, Luca, is army crawling now. He loves it. It is very cute, and it is very exhausting. Um, Some of you parents warned us about this, that once they go mobile, your life changes forever, and you were right. Uh, I thought about bringing a stool up here just so I could sit for a minute, Um, but I'm good, I promise. I noticed something, though, in the last uh, couple of weeks since he's learned this ability, that that with this ability, he's also been drawn to wherever it is in our house that has the most danger. I don't, it's probably not unique to him. Maybe those of you that are parents uh, know what I'm talking about, but just in these past few days, uh, he has tried to get himself tied up in a laptop cord charger. Uh, He has tried to pull down a chair. I don't know what we do about that. Like, do I nail down my chairs? That doesn't sound right. Um, He has lifted an air vent out of the floor. I think we have a son with superpowers. Like, he's tiny. Anyways, and so we, we redirect him to safety, you know, we bring him back to his playmat. He's got, you know, 100 toys. He has no interest in any of them. And it's just so funny to see how early we as people learn that we want to be in control of where we go and when we get there and how we get there as well. It's fascinating to, to see this. I don't know if it's an omen for what his life is going to be like, but I am a little bit concerned. Thinking, though, about this uh, series that we started last week, the series called The Way, I think at some point we all can identify that type of thinking and that type of living in ourselves, can't we? We all are drawn to a life where we are in charge, where we decide where we want to go and how we want to get there and when we want to arrive. We all, at some point, feel this pull towards living a self-centered life, a life where I am the one calling the shots, even if it leads me to danger. This draw, this, this pull, this part of the human experience is what I want to talk to you about today as we continue in this series. If you were here last week, we, we kicked it off. We'll be going through it all fall. And we talked about this language, the way, and how these early Christians, the first Jesus followers, were called people of the way. And we looked at this in John chapter 14, how we saw Jesus tell his disciples that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And we heard this, that that the goal of our series is to examine what is this way? What is this way of living that we have been called to? What was it about these early Jesus followers that set them apart from the world in which they lived? And what is it for us? What does it look like to grow in our obedience 
towards this way of living. So today, we're going to be looking at the first of nine characteristics, nine distinctives of what it is to be people of the way, as today we look at the way of self-denial. The way of self-denial, what does it look like for us as people who want to go our own way, people who want to be in charge, people who want to call all the shots, to live a life that denies self? So, if you have a Bible with you, I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 18, we're going to uh, read several verses and uh, look at uh, three things. Three things I want to point out to you today. I want to show you the king of self-denial, the way of self-denial, and then the reward of self-denial. Luke chapter 9, verse 18. It says this, Once, when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone, and he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed, and on the third day, be raised to life. The king of self-denial. Um, have you ever been mistaken for another person? I'm sure that's happened to all of us at some point. Uh, I've shared before how uh, before coming here to Chapel Street, I was a youth pastor. I was in youth ministry for several years, and, and I started right after graduating from college. And, and sometimes when I first started, I was, I was 22 years old, and uh, a new family would come, and sometimes the parents would confuse me for one of the students. And it was very funny. At, at 22, I was offended. At 30, I think I'd write them a thank you card. Um, but it, they, they just didn't know that, you know, I was the adult in charge. It was concerning to them, I think. I remember as a kid, one of the proudest moments of my life is when people would call our house phone. Remember house phones? When they would call our house phone, and as I started to get older, they stopped confusing me for my mom and started confusing me for my dad. Like, they were still wrong, but at least they thought I was a man, so that felt like a win to me. No offense, Mom. This is what we see here, though, as Jesus is, is clearing up a question about his identity, about who he is versus who people think that he is. And quickly, I just want to give a little bit of context to uh, what's going on here in this Gospel of Luke, because we're kind of just throwing you right into the middle of it. By the way, if you're looking for a devotional this week, just read Luke chapter 9 every day and you're going to find something new. There's so much packed into this one chapter. And of course, we know that that Luke didn't write in chapter and verse. That was added later, and, and his purpose was not to document everything in chronological order. But what he's doing here, I think, is really interesting. And so if you have a Bible with you, just look to the beginning and the end of Luke chapter 9. What happens before this conversation, and then what happens after it? Luke 9 starts with Jesus sending out his disciples to preach and perform miracles, this display of power that goes beyond the teacher and to the students. Then we see the feeding of the 5,000 men plus thousands of other women and children, this incredible miracle that we have all probably heard about. And then after this passage that we're looking at today, the, the very next section is the transfiguration. This moment where Jesus takes some of his disciples up on top of a mountain and he shows them his heavenly glory. 
And so it's almost as if Luke is trying to write this account and trying to get us to see that there is one victory and one moment of glory and one display of power after another. And this, I think, is why this matters. Because this passage, this conversation that we just looked at, should be no different. It shouldn't be any different. Look again to verses 18 and 20. We see these two questions that Jesus asks of his disciples as they come to him, and he asks them, who do the crowds say that I am? What's the word on the street? What are people saying about me? And then more importantly, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And, and we see Peter's response, God's Messiah. I think it'd be easy for us today as we look back on this event to, to read that and then just keep it moving. But pause here for just a moment with me and consider the ramifications of that statement. This is something, at least according to Luke's gospel, that to this point had only been mentioned and, and confirmed and said out loud by demons. And here is Peter saying that you are the one that we have been waiting for. You are this promised Savior, this long-awaited King. You are the one that is going to free us from oppression. You are the one that will bring us victory and power and success. This should be the pinnacle of this chapter of glory, and it is, but not in the way that they were expecting. By the way, I think this question of who do you say that I am is still one that Jesus is asking today. He asks of the world, and he asks of you. Who do you say Jesus is? Now, we know the answer. We're, we're in church. We know the, the Sunday school answer. We, we know the right words to say, don't we? Peter knew the right words. You're the Messiah. You're the Savior. You are the King. But can I ask you something today? If someone who did not know Jesus had full access to your life, and in particular, your prayer life, your thought patterns, the way in which you interacted with your Messiah, who would they think Jesus is? Would they think that Jesus is a spiritual 911 call, someone you only call when things are really not going well? Would they think of him as a heavenly vending machine, someone you go to when you really want a nice blessing? they think he's just a nice guy who doesn't really care what you do and affirms all of your choices? Would they see someone who has good things to say, who's a great teacher, but, but really doesn't have authority on the things that matter? Or would they see a king? Would they see someone that you have daily reliance on? Someone who is conforming you in love, who is calling you to become more like him? Who is Jesus to you? We see Peter's answer, and then, as he so often does, Jesus says something that made absolutely no sense to the people he was with. Look with me to verse 21 and 22. We'll read these again. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone, and he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. What kind of king is this? What kind of Messiah, what kind of Savior comes not to bring victory, but to admit defeat? What help is it, Jesus, for you to suffer and die and be betrayed and be rejected? We need you to free us from our oppression. We need someone to bring us life. 
why would you come to die? Here we see Jesus doing something that he would do over and over before his death and resurrection. He was telling his followers what kind of king he came to be and what kind of kingdom he came to establish, that he is a king that came not for a crown, but for a cross. That he is a king that came to suffer, to be rejected, the one who is the life, ready to die. The Jewish people were hoping for another King David. They were hoping for a a military leader, a, a general, someone that would bring victory over the Roman Empire and free them from their oppression. Yet Jesus says, I have not come for earthly glory or earthly power. I've come for something so much more, something so much greater, that he has come to empty himself, to deny himself to lay down his life, not to bring us earthly success, but eternal salvation. This is the king that we have. Uh, In his book, Bullies and Saints, John Dixon puts it this way. Uh, He was writing about the early Christians, and he described them as good losers. In other words, like their Messiah, like their king, they were less interested in gaining earthly power and achieving earthly victory and fighting earthly battles. They were far more interested in denying themselves in serving others, in loving their enemies. We see this uh, talked about in Philippians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul is talking about Jesus. He says, Rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the, the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. In other words, Jesus had all power, all glory, all status, and and he emptied himself. He made himself nothing because of his love for you and for me. Because, Because of his love for his heavenly father. Because he knew that this is what it would take to bring us back to him. See, self-denial for Jesus is not an obligation. It is an act of love. And I think this right here gives us a roadmap for how we, as followers of Jesus, as part of his kingdom, are to live in this world today. We all know this, don't we? That for so many people, people outside of the church look at us, they look at Christians, and, and all they see is a group that cares about earthly power. And their issue is not that they don't believe the claims of Jesus, it's that they think we don't believe those claims. And it's up to us today. We've been given this opportunity to show them something different, something better, something more. To look at the example that our king has left us. To look at what motivated him, not power, not winning, but sacrificial, self-denying love. Love for his father. Love for his creation. Care for the lost, a heart for the hurting. This is what set this king apart. This is the life that we have been called to. That brings us to the next part of our text today, the way of self-denial. 
the way of self-denial. Uh, I've shared this before. Judy and I, we got married when we were pretty young. Uh, we were just about a year out of college, and we had no money at all. Um, and so we actually drove to our honeymoon. We drove to the beach. It was like 14 hours or something like that. It was a really fun adventure to kind of start our new life together. Um, and I remember that day, I was driving. I had been driving for several hours, and Judy asked if I wanted her to take a turn. And I said, sure. And then I spent the next several hours gripping the handle of my car so tight because I realized that my new wife was a maniac on the road. (laughs) Like, it was terrifying. I felt like I had just married a NASCAR driver. Um, And she's just tearing down the highway, and it's like, I know I want to get us there. There's not much traffic. Let's fly. Um, And so I was like, you know, I can take back over if you want. You've been going for a while. It had been like 20 minutes. Um, (laughs) And and finally, I, you know, I just wanted to, like, get back in control. Finally, she pulled over. We made it in one piece. Um, And and I shared this story last night at our Saturday service, and she she was here. Um, and as I was telling the story, I could feel herself, like, restraining from telling her side, but, but she's not here today, so. <laughs> so that means I'm right. <laughs> but reading our, our text today, I was, I was reminded of that, that experience, maybe an experience you know as well, of wanting to grip that wheel, of wanting to be in control. Verse 23, he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. This is Jesus spelling out for his disciples what it takes to be a follower, what it means to be a disciple. Deny yourself and pick up your cross daily. We are to deny ourselves. What does that mean? What does it mean to deny yourself? You don't have to answer out loud, but just think about it for just a moment. What does self-denial look like for you? I think for many of us, we we probably have a bunch of different answers. Maybe for you, when you think of self-denial, you think of denying yourself things. And you think to be a follower of Jesus is to live a life that is just difficult and boring and you can't have any fun. It's like a never-ending season of Lent where you have to go off Facebook and cut out sugar. It's like, okay, great. Is that what self-denial is? Earlier this week, I was uh, actually working on this message, and, and Judy came to me. She knew what I was talking about today, and, and she asked if I wanted to go get ice cream, and I said no. And she said, fine, I will deny myself. <laughs> is that what self-denial is? For others, maybe we think of self-denial, and maybe we've heard this or been taught this, where to deny myself is to deny any and all desires, to fear desire in my heart, to push it down or push it away. Others still, maybe we have heard this, maybe we've been taught this, maybe we've gotten to the point where self-denial and self-hatred are no different. Where we hear this and we think, because of my great sin, I must be less worthy, less valuable, less loved. Is that what self-denial is? What does Jesus say that it is? Here's what I think. I think self-denial is removing the burden of living a self-centered life. It is removing the burden of a self-centered life. It's surrendering, as we sang earlier today. Surrendering all. Surrendering my entire life to the king who created me and loves me. It's living as if he sits on the throne. It's realizing that I have not been created to sit in the driver's seat as much as I might want to get back there. It's giving him the keys of my life and following his ways and his desire, 
more than my own. This idea, this, this message, we find this all throughout Scripture, all throughout the New Testament especially. It runs so counter to the world in which we live in today. You ever think about how America as a country started? Rebellion to a king. We love independence. We love freedom. We even have our own dream where you can be anything you want. It's all up to you. How often does this type of thinking invade our relationship with God where we see him as a means to an end, someone to help me achieve what I want and avoid what I don't? And here Jesus says that if you want to follow me, you must recognize all of that for what it truly is. It is a weight that you have not been created to withstand. You must instead surrender yourself to the one who loves you and to the word that he has given you. This is the central truth of this passage, what we all must remind ourselves of daily in a world that tells us to just follow your heart, no matter where it leads you. That you cannot follow Jesus and yourself. You can't do both. Who is on the throne of your life? Who is in the driver's seat? What's so difficult about this, I think that the reason that, that I struggle with this, maybe you struggle with this as well, is that self-denial shows up in every area of our lives. It's everywhere. Do you want to know what, what self-denial, just practically speaking, might look like for you or for me? Self-denial, to deny yourself, is forgiving that person who hurt you. Even though they didn't ask for it, even though you really don't want to, even though they don't deserve it. But it's doing it anyways because you know in Colossians chapter 3 that God has commanded you to forgive as you have been forgiven. Because you know that forgiving someone who is undeserving is the very essence of the gospel. Denying yourself is recognizing that any patterns of sin that I've been hiding in darkness must come to light in accountability and repentance. Not because I want to and not because it's easy. Because I know in 2 Timothy chapter 2, God has told me to flee from the power of sin. It means being generous with my time and my money, even though my natural tendencies is to hold on. Even though my bent always goes towards self-protection and self-preservation. Because I know God has given me resources to use for his kingdom and not for my own. It says my purpose at my workplace is not just to get a paycheck, but to be a light to love and to care for my coworkers. It means I do not get married just to fulfill my own desires, but to serve my spouse. For my marriage to be a picture of the love that Christ has for his church. Denying self gives Jesus the keys and lets him in the driver's seat and puts him on the throne. It is a statement of faith that life is best when he is in control. Back to our verse, verse 23. We are to deny ourselves and then pick up our cross daily. Do you know what a cross represented when Jesus was saying these words? I think sometimes we forget this because we look at a cross and we see salvation, we see forgiveness, we see light, we see life. But for the Jewish people of that day, they looked to a cross and they saw only death. Crucifixion was not unique to Jesus. It was in the Roman Empire the most painful and shameful way to die. It was a death reserved for criminals. 
And part of the crucifixion process, something that we see happen to Jesus at the end of his life, was forcing the accused to carry the horizontal beam of the cross to the place where they would die. It was this physical reminder of the weight of their crime. See, no one would choose to pick up a cross. It was a one-way journey to the end of your life. And yet this is what Jesus tells us to do every single day. Pick up your cross daily. Paul writes about this in Galatians uh, chapter 2, verse 20. This will be familiar to some of us. He says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. It's this idea that when we follow Jesus, we follow him all the way to the cross that we have been crucified with him, that our, our sin, our old self, what scripture calls the flesh, anything that strays from his will must be completely surrendered to God. It's what we see in Colossians chapter 3, that anything that belongs to your earthly nature must be put to death. A.W. Tozer uh, wrote about this in his book called The Radical Cross. He said that in every Christian's heart, there is a cross and a throne. And the Christian is on the throne till he puts himself on the cross. If he refuses the cross, he remains on the throne. He goes on to say, we want to be saved, but we insist that Christ do all the dying. I've been thinking about that quote for about a week and a half. In other words, this is what it means to follow Jesus. It's making the daily choice of dying to our old ways and our old selves and our self-centered nature and living as a new creation. Skip Heitzek, who's a, a pastor out in New Mexico, put it this way, that many of us want a crossless Christianity. We love that Jesus went there. We're grateful for what he did. But are you, today, willing to follow him there? Back when I was a youth pastor, um, we did this activity. It's kind of a classic youth group activity. If you grew up going uh, to church, maybe you did this as well, where, where we talked with our students about um, all the things that slow them down in their pursuit of Jesus. What we did, you know, what, whatever it was, whether it's sin or shame or, or things from the past or, or, or fear of the future, anything. And we had them write it down and we bought a bunch of nails and we got a cross and we had them nail those things to the cross. And it was this kind of beautiful and also heartbreaking and, and also this really tender moment that we had uh, with our students. And, and then what we told them, I think, is similar to what Jesus tells his disciples here. That simply nailing a post-it to a cross doesn't actually change anything. That we are to pick up our cross, do you remember the next word? Daily. That to surrender ourselves, to give God our struggles, to trust him with every part of our lives, even the parts that no one else knows about, is not a one-time activity that makes you feel good. It is a daily discipline that our call is to pick up our cross, to deny ourselves, not just once, and not just on days when we go to church, and not just when we think about it, but every single day. That every day I'm nailing things to that cross, and every day I'm surrendering my rebellion in my self-centered way. And every day I'm crying out to God to lift from me this burden of living for myself. And every day I cry out, give me the faith that says that life is better when you are on the throne. 
We're told that when we do that, we're promised three things will happen. That brings us to the reward of self-denial. The reward. Let me just read the last three verses of our text today, starting in verse 24. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me in my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Do you see the three rewards? That when we follow Jesus, something interesting, something profound happens that impacts the way that we live today. That when we live a life of surrender, when God sits on the throne, we receive life, riches, and approval beyond anything we can find on earth. Some of you might have seen some of these before. They've done uh, studies. There have been so many studies done that have proven that there is a link between happiness and generosity. That if you want to live a happier life, the key is not to do what you would normally do and what I would normally do, which is to hold on to what we have. The key is to give it away, to be generous. Similar studies have been done with gratitude, with serving, all of these things starting to realize what's been written here for thousands of years. That life is better when I am not on the throne, when I am living a life of self-denial. And this is what Jesus is telling us here. And notice this, that Jesus does not demonize desire as we are sometimes tempted to do. Sometimes we're tempted, again, to to push it down, to never acknowledge it. Other times we're tempted to just blindly follow it. And we see here that both of those are a mistake. Rather, desire points us to something more. We all want to make the most of life, don't we? It's natural to want possessions and riches and, and security that comes with those things. All of us want to belong, to have the approval of others. And here Jesus tells us that all of these desires have been given to us to point us back to him. To realize that no amount of riches, no amount of human approval, no life experience can truly satisfy the longing of our soul. That what we see in John chapter 10 is true. That Jesus has come to bring us life and life to the full. If today you find yourself longing for more joy, looking for more peace, crying out for a sense of security, wishing like you felt like you belonged, the key is not to hold on to what you have or seek it from the world. Haven't we seen over and over people that have gained the whole world express how empty they felt? Haven't we seen that none of those things truly brings people what they are looking for? Haven't we seen research and studies show that money doesn't really make you happy? Haven't we experienced the same people give us approval, also turn their backs in our hour of need? See, this is the point that Jesus is making, that if you want things of this world, you can get them. But if you want true satisfaction, true contentment, if you want to be fulfilled, it comes from not saving your own life, but giving it away. And living a life of self-denial and making the statement of faith that life is better when he is in control. Today, as we close, um, I want to invite our worship team to come back up. Um, Normally, we close, I I usually close us in prayer, um, and I lead that. But what I want to invite you to do today as they come back up is to have a moment of prayer just by yourself. I want to invite you to consider, to reflect what it looks like for you today and tomorrow and in your normal life to deny yourself, 
to pick up your cross daily. I want you to take a moment and consider if there is a part of your life that you are still holding on to that steering wheel, still wanting to be in control. I know for many of us, maybe you think of uh, your loved ones, your kids, your grandkids. You think of them and their future and their safety. And and whenever you think of that, you just really want to get back in control, don't you? You really want to hold on tight. You really want to know what's going to happen to them. Maybe today you need to be reminded that the love that their heavenly Father has for them outshines any love that they've ever experienced. For others, maybe it's money. And you've been holding on so tight for so long and thinking it's all just going to go away. You need to be reminded of the way that God cares for the birds of the air and the flowers of the field and how his love for you is so much more. Maybe for you it's something in your past, a pain that you've experienced and you need to declare today that God's love and his grace and his mercy and his strength are enough. You, I, we've all been called to deny ourselves to pick up our cross today and every day and follow our King. Let's take some time in reflection now. Let that be true of us today, that our lives are all for Him. Again, we're so glad you could be here today. If we can be praying for you, anything going on, you can come to the front after the service, and we would love to come alongside you, whatever's going on. Ladies, on your way out, make sure you stop at our women's ministry kiosk. So many great options to grow in your faith. For today's benediction, I want to read to you a verse I read earlier uh, found in Galatians chapter 2. So would you stand with me as we do that? Hear these words. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Go in that life and in that faith today. Amen.